Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are excited that you came across this message. If you are joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. History records for us that the people of ancient Greece made the world a better place to live through numerous inventions that in their day and time were revolutionary. For example, we have the people of ancient Greece to thank for things like the alarm clock, the odometer, and the overhead crane. But in 400 BC, they created another invention that, was, that is still used to this day. At that point in history, people were continuing to explore the open sea. And it became very evident that a device was necessary to keep a ship in a certain place there in the open sea. So in response to that problem, the ancient Greeks fashioned a flattened stone with a hole drilled right in the middle. And they took one end of the rope and attached it to the stone. And they took the other end of the rope and attached it to the boat. And once they reached a point in the open sea where they wanted to stay in that location, they would actually drop the stone into the water. That device became known as the anchor. Fast forward to today. We all understand the purpose and the concept of an anchor. In its simplest form, an anchor keeps a boat from doing what boats naturally do in the open water. And that is drift. In the same way. When it comes to our focus and following of Jesus, we all have a natural tendency to drift. Now, drifting for the follower of Jesus usually does not look like immediate all-out rebellion. It's subtle. Slowly but surely, we tend to drift. And we can all relate with that. We can think about moments in our lives when we are so focused on the love and the compassion and the grace of God that is demonstrated through the cross, but then life happens. We begin to think about our situation or messages in culture or temptation or struggle, and slowly but surely we begin to drift from a clear focus on the glory and honor of God. I thought about some examples of how you and I, on a regular basis, have a tendency to drift. Drifting can look like this. It can look like taking God's grace for granted. Not being as moved by the amazing grace of God as we once were. That is drifting. Another example, 
can look like viewing sin as not so sinful. Drifting can happen when we don't place the intensity on sin that the Bible places on sin. Drifting can also look like minimizing my pursuit of Jesus. It can look like my pursuit of Jesus not being the ultimate pursuit of my life. Drifting can also look like pulling away from relationships. Can look like isolating ourselves from relationships within God's family. I submit to you, that is one way that Jesus followers tend to drift. Another example is drifting can look like living as though it is all about me. I'm the focus. I'm the priority. I'm the thing that matters most. Here's the good news. Jesus knew we would struggle with this drift. That naturally, because of our sinful nature, because of our flesh, that we would naturally drift in the wrong direction. And that in those moments, one of the things we would need is a fresh reminder of the depth of his great love for us. And so Jesus has actually given us a practice, a symbolic practice that helps to remind us of his great love for us. We call that the Lord's Supper. On the eve of his death, Jesus gave his followers this practice that became one of the most powerful expressions of worship in the early church. And generation after generation, it's been handed down to us. And I want to give you a very simple way to think about what the Lord's Supper is for us as followers of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is an anchor to keep us from drifting from the life-changing message of the gospel. We all have a tendency to drift, I would imagine, in a room this size. There are some of us today, and we are drifting. But Jesus knew that every time we came around the Lord's table to celebrate the Lord's Supper in the right way, it would be an anchor for us to remind us of the good news of the gospel that is available to everyone who would choose to embrace it. And today, as a church family, we are going to celebrate the supper together. And my prayer is that it is an anchor for you to bring you back to what matters most. Away from the drifting, away from the struggle, away from the temptation to anchor us today in the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may know this, but on a regular basis, our pastoral team receives questions about the Lord's Supper. And normally, there are primarily two questions that come our way. One of those questions is, when should we observe the Lord's Supper? There's actually a lot of debate about that question. Some people would say we need to celebrate it weekly. Some would say monthly. Some would say quarterly. Some would say annually. For us at Hope, we celebrate the Lord's Supper 
around three to four times per year because the Bible really doesn't speak to how often we should do this. It simply says, as often as you do it. And so for us at Hope, that's about three or four times per year. But there's another question that we receive on a regular basis that's a very, very important question that we need to talk about today. And that is, why do we observe the Lord's Supper? So to answer that question for us today, I want to invite you to look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to start reading in verse 23. This text is going to be a basis for us as we prepare our hearts and our minds to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26. For as often as you drink this bread, you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we just read is what the Apostle Paul shared with the church at Corinth about the Lord's Supper. And what I want to do for a few moments right out of this text is I want us to look at three realities that we focus on. We focus our hearts on and our minds on through this practice of the Lord's Supper. And after we've had a few moments to study the word, then together as a church family, we are going to observe the Lord's Supper. Here's the first thing that we focus on every time we observe the Lord's Supper. We remember that our need is great. We remember, we contemplate, we acknowledge and recognize that our need as humanity is great. Our need is significant. In verses 24 and 25 of this text, Paul actually quotes Jesus. And he's quoting Jesus, we find it in the Gospels, when he is in the, in the upper room with his disciples, giving them this practice called the Lord's Supper. And here's what Jesus said to his disciples. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And here's what Jesus said about the cup. He said, the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, two times in two verses, we see this word, Remembrance. It's a word that means to call into memory a vivid experience from the past. So here's what that means for us. Every time we observe the Lord's Supper, we are to call back to mind the sacrifice of Jesus. 
We are to consider the debt for sin that was paid through his death on the cross. We're to call back to mind the humiliation and the pain and the struggle that Jesus Christ endured on our behalf. I love that as Jesus was talking about his body being broken, he said, this is for you. Here's what Jesus did through that statement. He connected his great sacrifice with our great need. You see, the gospel does not just make bad people good people. The gospel makes dead people alive. We are hopeless and we are helpless apart from the grace of God. And we are not gathered in this place today just because we need a pick-me-up. We are here because we need saving and Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Through the Lord's Supper, we are directed to the very heart of the Christian gospel. The atonement of the cross, the finished work of Calvary, and the empty tomb. I love the way that Alan Redpath framed up how this practice is a moment for us to remember and to worship. Here's what he said. It is the one who has given something for us at Calvary, asking each of us to remember his death, to put that at the very center of our Christian experience. It is he who loved us even unto death, calling us out from the busyness and often the barrenness of all our pressure and work that we might wait Upon him in the stillness of our hearts and worship him. The Lord's Supper is an incredible picture of God's great love for us. But for the sake of clarity, I want to remind you that it is just in fact that, a picture. You see, what we're going to celebrate in just a moment is symbolic. If you are a student of the scriptures, as you read the gospels, you see that very often Jesus would teach using figurative language. He would say things like, I'm the light, I'm the vine, I'm the gate. And when he said those things, he was not literally meaning that he was a vine, a light, or a gate. He was using figurative language to teach a spiritual lesson. And that's exactly what he does in the scriptures when it comes to the Lord's Supper. He says, I want to show you the symbol of the bread that represents my body. And I want to show you the symbol of the cup that represents my blood. So I want to talk for a moment about the significance of each of these symbols. The Bible says he first took the bread the bread is a symbol to remind us of the body that he took on when he entered time and came to earth. This is known as the doctrine of the incarnation. God became a man and dwelt among us. Jesus indeed is God. 
who took on full humanity. Now, this is a weighty thought. This is a weighty topic that we should not just blow by in a Christian worship service. The reality that God took on flesh in the person of Jesus and became a man and dwelt among us us should move us as God's people. I love the way that Daniel Aiken said it in one of his commentaries. He says this, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He is no half God and half man, all God and no man, all man and no God. He is not simply a man uniquely in touch with the divine. No, he is the God-man who is like no one else who will ever live. He has always been with the Father. And at Bethlehem, he came to be with us. Wow. Every time that we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we are to remember the reality that God took on human flesh and that his body was broken. But the second symbol that we see represented through the Lord's Supper is the cup. It's a symbol of the blood that Jesus shed. This is referred to as the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement. Christ died for us. We're looking today in 1 Corinthians. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul shares a verse that is, is overwhelming to consider. He said this in chapter 5. For our sake, there it is again, connecting his great sacrifice with our great need. He made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about it this way. The ones who deserved the cross, you and I, were pardoned because the one who was perfect died in our place. Through the atoning blood of Jesus, we can experience joy, hope, and peace. And that is why, as the people of God, we celebrate the precious blood of Jesus. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So every time we celebrate this supper, we are to focus on our great need. And the fact that in order to meet our need, his body had to be broken and his blood had to be shed. The second thing we focus on today is this. We declare that God can meet our greatest need. We remember that our need is great. We are hopeless. We are lost. We are dead. We are helpless apart from the grace of God. But through the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, God made a way to meet our greatest need, not just for today, but for eternity. So we focus today with hope that God can meet our greatest need. Paul reflects this in verse 25 of 26 of our text. He says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you 
proclaim the Lord's death. This word proclaim is a powerful word. It means to declare openly or publicly or aloud. We see it throughout the book of Acts when the disciples would publicly proclaim the gospel. It means to announce something loudly. My youngest daughter, her name is Noelle. She just turned three and she's beautiful. But right now, we are working on her being potty trained. You know how to pray for me. And if I can be honest with you, my wife is doing a lot of the heavy lifting, just so we, we're all clear. Um, but we've tried everything. Like We've been trying to motivate her. We've done charts to track her progress. <laughs> and so it has been quite a journey. But over this past few weeks, she's began to understand the concept. And so what will happen right now is when she knows that she has to go to the bathroom and she goes and everything goes according to plan, if you know what I mean. <laughs> She will then find the room in the house where the most people are gathered. And she will run to the middle of the room as if she's just been given an Olympic gold medal or a Super Bowl ring. And she will say, I did it! <laughs> and it is the epitome of someone publicly declaring a message if I have ever seen it. So that's a funny story, but it's a really good illustration. Because as the people of God, every time we do what we're going to do in just a few moments and we observe the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming something. We are saying something loudly. And I just believe today that should be in our hearts and our minds as we observe the supper. We are proclaiming that even though we are broken, God, by his grace, has the power and the authority to meet our greatest need. We are proclaiming today that God has transformed our life. Now, I think it's important as we think about being transformed that we understand that from a biblical sense. Because in our culture, as you know, there are many different ways people define what it means to be transformed. Most people will define transformation as something that happens from the outside in. Meaning, if I do enough good things and I follow enough good rules, then somehow, someway, I'll be changed on the inside. I want us to be clear today. That is not the transformation that the, the Bible addresses. When the Bible speaks of the gospel transforming our lives, the Bible is not speaking of a transformation from the outside in. It's actually the exact opposite. The Bible teaches a transformation from the inside out. Meaning there's nothing I can ever do in my own effort, in my own will, in my own morality to earn right standing with God and be transformed. The Bible teaches though that as we focus on him and we yield our will and our plan and our life to him, he transforms us from the inside out. The gospel says, I can't, but Jesus Christ can. So today we are focusing on the fact that our need as humanity is great. 
We're also focusing on the fact that God can meet our greatest need. Amen? And the third and final thing that we're focusing on today is this. We celebrate God's promise of his glorious return. Look at the last three words of verse 26. Until he comes. Paul says here, you're to observe this practice. And every time you do it, you are proclaiming that your life has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Until Jesus Christ comes back. You see, right now we are celebrating around a picture or a symbol in the form of a memorial supper. But the scripture teaches that one day the Son of God is going to return and take us to be with him. And at that point in eternity, the memorial supper will no longer be required because we will enjoy a marriage supper, not as a symbol, but face to face. And I share that today. I share that today to breathe hope into you. Because I know in this room there are hurts, there are frustrations, there are fears, there are deep struggles that are present right now. Hear me today. If you are a follower of Jesus, it is not always going to be this way. There is a day coming when Jesus Christ is going to come back and take us to be with him and we will spend eternity in a sinless, perfect environment called heaven. And as we celebrate today, we want to focus on that. So I hope that helps you as we just really try to get our hearts right for what we're about to do. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we give space to talk through it. We do not just tag it on to the end of a service because we believe what we're doing today is a really big deal. And every time we do it, we focus on our great need. We focus on God being able to meet our great need. And we focus on the fact that we can celebrate one day our king has promised us he is going to return. But following the text that we're looking at today in 1 Corinthians, Paul says something else that's really significant. And I want us to talk about it for just a moment before we observe the Lord's Supper. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. These are weighty words for us. And a key word I want us to think about for just a moment is this word that Paul uses in verse 28. It's the word examine. He says, before you just rush in, to observe the Lord's Supper, you must examine yourself. It's a word that means to put on trial or to ask by questioning. I love the way that John MacArthur says it. He said this, 
To come unworthily to communion does not simply dishonor the ceremony. It dishonors the one in whose honor it is being celebrated. So I want to lead you in just a moment in a time of questioning. I want to ask you some questions today. And the whole premise of me asking you these questions is that we might examine ourselves before we worship together through the Lord's Supper. We want to examine our hearts. And the first area that I would just put before you that needs to be examined is I want to invite you to examine your fellowship with God. I want to ask you today, do you have a relationship with God? If you're here today and there's never been a moment when you have began a personal, intimate love relationship with God, you don't need the symbol or the ceremony of the Lord's Supper. You need Jesus. You need to invite him into your heart to save you. Just a few moments, we're going to have some pastors here and we would love to talk to you today. So if today, if you need Jesus, when we stand and sing a song of response in just a few moments, I want to invite you to come forward. And just say to one of our pastors, I need Jesus. We would love to show you from the Bible how today you can begin a love relationship with God. But as we think about just examining our own hearts, maybe you're here today. And since the moment I said it at the beginning of the sermon, you know today you are drifting. There's a sin. There's a struggle. There's an attitude. And God led you to church today to make that right. And in order for you today to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner before the Lord, you need to get those things right before Him. And we're going to give you some time to do that. But not only do we need to examine our relationship with God, we also need to examine our relationship with others. I want you to think about for a moment your relationships within God's family. Is there anyone that you have not forgiven? Is there anyone with whom you have unresolved conflict? Is there anyone that you dislike to hear praised or well spoken of? Are you secretly annoyed? over the accomplishments or advancements of someone else. Before we observe this Lord's Supper today, we want to examine our relationship with God, our fellowship with God, but also our relationships with God's family. There may be someone in this room today, and you know, even as I just said those words, your relationship with them is not right. Let me encourage you, before you observe this supper today, make that relationship right. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lead us in a moment to pray. And as we do that, our ushers are going to begin to distribute the elements. We just got a little container here that we're going to pass around. And our team's just going to lead us in a song. And as we pass out the elements... It's a few moments for you just to be still before the Lord. We're not asking you to sing. We're not asking you to stand. You can if you would like to. But this is just a time in our service for you to examine your relationship with God 
and examine your relationships within God's family. And then after we've had a few moments to do that, and we've passed out the elements, I'll come back and I'll lead us all in a corporate time to receive the bread and receive the juice. So Lord, we're thankful today for just an opportunity to worship you through the Lord's Supper. And Lord, even in my own heart, as we've just walked through this time, Lord, there's just some things that I'm convicted over. Some ways I need to just take a fresh look at your sacrifice, at your cross, and at your love for me. So Lord, in these next few moments, I pray that we would do exactly what the scripture says. I pray that we would examine. And God, give us, give us grace and boldness. If there are some things that need to be confessed, some things that need to be made right, God, give us the boldness to do that. Give us the grace to do that. So Lord, speak to us during this time. Direct us as we examine our hearts and prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a way that is honoring and worthy of you. Pray these things in Jesus' name.